What happens in an entrepreneurship accelerator? Most people are familiar with the Dragon's Den or Shark Tank type accelerators that support the commercialization of an innovation, because that's what we see on TV. But in a post-secondary environment, it's not just the commercial opportunity that's in focus. The entrepreneur's learning and development is paramount. And from a human perspective, so is the well-being of the entrepreneur, as the learner at the heart of it. At InnoVed, some of our members are looking to develop or improve educational consulting or enrichment programs, learning apps, or platforms for gamification and learning management or artificial or virtual reality. An accelerator can't be one size fits all. The different needs and goals of each entrepreneur informs your approach to their learning. Today, we're wrapping up our four-part series with a conversation on facilitating learning for entrepreneurship. We'll hear from three professionals who are guiding entrepreneurs to advance their learning across the University of Toronto Entrepreneurship Network and within InnoVet. My name is Christy Ivan, and welcome to the InnoVet Exchange, a podcast for edupreneurs. Join me as I speak with the founders, makers, movers, and shakers who make up InnoVet's community. Together, we'll explore what it means to innovate and how we can create the conditions for improving entrepreneurship education. Today's show is all about the learning process and the entrepreneurship journey. We'll look at the critical role of research and inquiry and the processes that characterize InnoVed's unique approach to entrepreneurship education. What's happening in InnoVed right now could have valuable implications for the future of entrepreneurship learning. First, we'll speak with Carrie Tone, a librarian who supports the University of Toronto Entrepreneurship Network and is engaged in research of her own. Later, we'll speak with Michael Cassidy and Samantha Prasuto from OISE CPL who are engaged in innovation work through InnoVed and various local and international initiatives and partnerships. Together, they'll share what they've been learning about supportive practices and processes for entrepreneur learning and development. Along an entrepreneur's journey, they'll encounter challenges as well as many obstacles to overcome. Systematic inquiry is a fundamental part of the process to answer the questions they need to proceed on their path. Doing this well and building research skills is essential to their development. In our last episode on learning environments for entrepreneurship, our guests noted that a key aspect of a good learning environment is one that provides access to research to support learning. So I was pretty curious to talk with Carrie, who helps current and future U of T startups and entrepreneurs find the information they need to support their work. Her own research interests include the research habits and needs of campus entrepreneurs. Hi, my name is Carrie Tone, and I'm the Entrepreneurship Librarian at University of Toronto Libraries, and I sit at the Gerstein Science Information Centre on St. George campus. I started in 2015, and that was around the time that the Campus Accelerator Network was taking off. And my role is designed as what we call a functional specialist role, which means that it crosses faculties and disciplines as opposed to what many folks may have experienced as, you know, faculty or students at universities, which is they have a liaison to their department. So I work across departments, which I think, you know, makes sense if we think about how entrepreneurship is an interdisciplinary or a cross-disciplinary effort. So tell us, what does it mean to be an entrepreneurship librarian at U of T? What do you do? So I support the research questions and needs of entrepreneurs across campus. One of the areas that I've been supporting very closely since I started at, at UTL 
is I work very closely with the accelerators and U of T entrepreneurship is extremely collaborative and supportive of the library. Uh, and so I would say that I'm embedded in their activities to a large extent. The library's job is not really to launch companies. We view entrepreneurship as a learning opportunity, regardless of whether or not a company is successful or even if there is a company at all, frankly, right? So our interest is in not only providing access to quality information resources, but contextualizing that access as well. So we have a framework in librarianship for understanding how information is produced and valued, how it can be used to create new knowledge and innovation, and critically evaluated and responsibly consumed. So these are the kinds of things that are like the framework and the, the values of our profession. And I think there's great alignment with entrepreneurship there because these questions are the same questions that the entrepreneur has all the time. Where can I find this information? But then when I find that information, if it exists, is it good information? Can I trust this information? How can I use this information? All of those are questions that students, faculty, community entrepreneurs have as well. I really like the term you said, responsibly consumed. Tell me a bit more about that. Is that what you meant about how do I use this information? How do I you know, trust this information? Yes. So in terms of responsible consumption, what we talk about in an academic context is this idea of academic integrity. So we cite our work. We understand that scholarship is a conversation. It goes back and forth. We give credit to others for their ideas. We make our contribution and we have this discussion. This is very common across, you know, all disciplines. However, when we get into entrepreneurship, most of the people that I support, they are doing applied research. They're not, you know, researching to write an academic article necessarily. They may have done some of that already, right? They have a deep subject expertise. They may very well work in a lab and they're publishing results and all of that is wonderful. However, when we come to the entrepreneurship piece, the information that they're looking for is to apply to this project. Often there's a question of, well, you know, in a startup, why do I need to cite my work or, or where does it matter? And there's a few, you know, very important pieces to that. One is that Many people who have lived within these academic realms where the research that they're drawing on, the literature, if you will, is carefully bound by things like peer review, the business world moves much, much faster than the academic world. So while in many ways the academic world is kind of ahead of the game, right, we're researching things and, and looking at things more deeply maybe earlier, or we have more time to dedicate to that kind of research, in the business world day-to-day, -day, things are moving much faster than the academic process of scholarship can keep up with. And so we can't rely on those same, you know, sort of safeguards. We need to rely on other things. And one of those is trust and reputation. I often talk to the students who come in and I say, you know, you need to present yourself as a trustworthy player. And part of that is giving credit where it's due right? That's one very important piece of it. The other piece of it is to show that you have based the assumptions that you're making on the best available information. And so we talk a lot in business librarianship about decision-making and using information for decision-making and, and improving decision-making based on, on good information. And so one thing the library can do is first, we vet resources. So the big Databases, for instance, they come with their own brands attached. They come with their own standards. We try to select trustworthy information sources, and that's kind of higher up the supply chain, right? And then as we come down to sort of the consumer of that information, 
how do they responsibly consume it in terms of making the right choice of what information to trust, evaluating it effectively, which is another piece of it, because we, as everyone knows, are facing a massive crisis of misinformation and disinformation in our culture more broadly. And so the librarian and the library has a good role to play there. If you're moving out of you know, kind of the confines of the university, if you will, into the broader ecosystem, then you want to show there that like you are trustworthy and ethically, you know, up to snuff as a, as an operator and people can trust you. And also that you are organized enough to keep track of where the information came from that you're basing these decisions on. So Carrie, can you tell us a bit about the research project you're currently working on? The research project started when I started at U of T libraries and in collaboration with a colleague at UTM Libraries, Helen Kula, we did a survey of the research habits and needs of University of Toronto campus entrepreneurs. We wanted to know what kind of information they needed, where they were finding it, and what role the library might play in that process. Then in 2020, as the ecosystem had evolved and more accelerators had sort of established and and come in and the library had also embedded into the ecosystem and created all kinds of supports and services for that community. In 2020, we wanted to look back and see again, okay, what distance have we traveled since then and what might those needs be now? And so Helen and I, in collaboration with the then entrepreneurship librarian on University of Toronto Scarborough campus, Sarah Shuja, launched a new survey, slightly expanded, to kind of revisit the same questions with a couple more questions to just learn a little bit more about that community and what had changed. What we looked at, you know, in terms of research questions was what roles do respondents play within the ecosystem and when do they seek information? What industries or sectors do they operate in or seek to operate in? What resources, training, and strategies do they employ when conducting secondary market research? So we first ran it in 2016. We ran it for about six months. There were 28 questions on the survey. We had 113 respondents. So this is a convenient sample. I'm not speaking for all entrepreneurs on campus by any means. However, we did both qualitative and quantitative data analysis and, and coding, and we found some very interesting themes. So the first thing we found, just in terms of the demographics, we found that uh, about 50% were students at all levels. And then another 30% were staff or faculty and 20% or so were what we call alumni and other. So this might be uh, alumni or it might also be, say, co-founders who were working with a U of T person but weren't at U of T in any sort of status role at that time. And so we asked them what program they were affiliated with, and we had 52 different programs. So this was something that really got me excited because this wasn't just engineering students. This wasn't just computer science students. You know, this really ran the gamut. So we had people from anthropology all the way to women's studies. Then we asked them what stage their startup was at. And perhaps not surprising, we found they were mostly in the early to mid stages. So they were still, you know, coming up with an idea, doing their discovery and their validation more so than looking for, you know, sales. And in terms of the top industry sectors they were operating in, we had, you know, healthcare coming in at number one at almost 30%, internet, you know, so internet-based services, products and services second, and then consumer products and services third. 
So that gave me right away a quick and dirty respondent demographic sketch in terms of the kinds of information they were seeking. They were looking for market research, company research, industry research. We opened it up at, as well. We said, you know, are you looking for patent research? You know, there's all kinds of other options, but those were the top three. And then in terms of their application, the top three applications were working on a business plan, developing an idea and preparing a pitch. So we've got, you know, the, the big pictures, the kind of exploratory research, and then the milestones. By that point, I thought, you know, it's been five years. Maybe we should take a look and see not just how we are doing, but, you know, what else has changed in the space. And fundamentally, everything I've shared so far has stayed largely the same. Carrie, this is all so fascinating, and I really appreciate hearing more about the who as well as a bit of the what they're looking for. Can you try to tell us a little bit about some of the observations that you have coming out of this data and that you can share about entrepreneurs in terms of how and why they're accessing the network, but also what they're specifically asking for? Absolutely. So in terms of the network more broadly, we did ask a question, and I've found this to be true as well, just in my, in my anecdotal experience. We asked a question about, you know, whether they were participating in any of the accelerator programs. And we found that 50% were engaged in some way. So that could be in a current or past cohort. That could be a current or past mentor, current or past admin or instructor. So our community you know, that we can easily define with those boundaries around U of T entrepreneurship was about 50% of the sample that I collected in the research. So what that tells me is there's a broader group, a broader community, and they have, for whatever reason, maybe they're not ready yet to apply to Accelerator. They're doing a course instead and they feel that, well, I'll learn through the course and then I can go out and do it that way. So there's all kinds of different ways in which people can access the system as such. And one thing that's really great about the library is that it's a risk-free orientation to the ecosystem. We can provide things like research fundamentals. We can introduce people to key thinking and sort of the startup mindset, but they don't have to commit to a course. So those people can come into the library and access things like our introductory workshops. They're open workshops that we offer. For instance, one of them is an orientation to the campus you know, community and resources available. So we don't just talk about what's available at the library, but also across campus. And one piece of feedback that we receive often in those workshops is that it feels very big and very dispersed, and it's hard to kind of get a handle on everything that's out there. And so for those folks who want some help figuring that out, they can come to the workshop, for example, at the library and and get some of those answers to those questions in a risk-free, mostly anonymous environment. I find this really interesting because when you talk about this broader population coming in because they've got questions, often the questions people are asking or the, the things that they feel safe and coming into a librarian to talk about are indicators of their learning needs or gaps. So as we're trying to figure out what are the implications for entrepreneurship learning on here, it's you know, helping prepare them to be ready. If people don't feel ready yet to enter an accelerator or a, a community in this environment, it's, are there barriers? Are there needs? What are we supporting to help get people towards what they're ready for? Not just those who are absolutely ready with a pitch and want to jump into an accelerator because they've got something to launch. I find that really interesting. Absolutely. And I take great pride in 
knowing that the library can play a role in building that culture in that way. It's very exciting to me that the library is a space for people to come and feel comfortable asking those questions. So one thing that we were excited to collect in the research was looking at, you know, what what are their existing research sources and strategies? So generally, you know, when people are doing research and they're trying at those early stages to find information, where do they go? So there's three fundamental camps. The first one is those who use Google, primary sources, and free tools. And if you want to know how many people always do that, always search Google, I can tell you in my sample, it was 62.5% of people always search Google. I'm actually surprised that's not higher. Yes, I agree. So this is one piece of it. And there's there's very much in, in the startup culture, this idea that you Google and you do primary research. And this is the fundamental way that most startups do that market research on a budget. Awesome, great more than happy to, you know, support that and, and help people improve that kind of research that they do. You know, my questions for those folks are, what are you missing when you're searching Google? What is an indexed? Do we know how Google works? What's behind a firewall you haven't accessed yet? And also, how are you doing your primary research? What's your methodology? How do you know what method or what, you know, source type to, to choose. When is primary research appropriate, but when might a secondary research tool be more appropriate? The next group are those who include library resources in their research tool. And so when we say library resources, we say things like paid databases, the research guides that we put out that help just to organize and structure information, access to the you know best statistical surveys and, and these kinds of things. What we saw from 2016 to 2020 that was quite exciting was the, the group that said that they never used the library website or databases. In 2016, that was 37.5, said never, not just rarely, but never use the library website or databases and never use library staff was 62.5%. So huge. They just would never have considered using the library. And then in 2020, we saw both of those numbers in terms of the nevers decrease substantially. So in 2020, 11.6% of respondents said that they never use the library uh, website or databases, and 29.5% say they never use or never ask library staff. And this was just a, a question based on how often do you use the following resources, just generally speaking. So we were very excited to see that those numbers kind of, you know, usage increase and awareness increase while I always use Google stayed about the same. That was very interesting for us. And I think for us, it helped us see, okay, so we've been embedded in this space for a while. We've been supporting in all these different ways. And we're starting to get some understanding of, you know, um, amongst our users of what the library can contribute and how we can help you out. The third group were using a combination of source types. So if you were including library resources in your research strategy mix in terms of the tools you were drawing on, you were more likely to draw on a bigger selection of resources. So this was also great to see. Now, we also wanted to know sort of what people do when they get stuck and who they ask for help. And so, you know, who do you ask? Do you ask a friend or colleague? Do you ask your advisor? Do you ask a librarian? Do you ask the internet, you know, like forums, Reddit, these kinds of things as well. And again, while, you know, friends or colleagues and advisors and profs state about even across the two 
years, we saw a librarian go up by 21% during that time. So that was also really great to see and just kind of seeing the value of having a librarian embedded in the educational process and the learning and just, you know, included in meetings and, you know, the, the team at U of T Entrepreneurship and the Accelerators are just such great advocates of the library. You know, they treat us like we're sort of the, the 12th accelerator. So now what was the outcome? So what was the impact of the information that you found? And this is, of course, not just library information. This is all the information that they find. 77% said that the information they found had a moderate to major impact on their venture. And so when we're talking about major impact, we mean redefining the direction of the company, confirming the direction of the company, discovery of essential information, saving time, you know, so we had some first person kind of quotes here and one person, one respondent said, while I had a rough idea of what I wanted to work on before, I didn't know how to prove the idea was viable. This process helped assure myself that the direction I was headed in was good. So we love to hear this kind of thing. You're using good evidence to base decision-making and just validate. It's one of your, your metrics for validation of your ideas. You go forward. So Carrie, you shared some fascinating data for us today in terms of your research and also indicated some resources that are available that a lot of people might not know are there. Sounds like you've got some takeaways for us. So I would say my first takeaway is that I think market research is a very important part of the process for any startup to include. And what that looks like will really depend on the startup and on you. But there is something that secondary market research more generally and the library specifically have to offer in terms of support for that. So that would be the number one key takeaway is if you're not sure you're having trouble, ask a librarian. And we'd be more than happy to help you. And whether you're at a university, a college, or accessing your public library, there's some great resources out there for you. So that would be my overarching number one takeaway. I think the other takeaway is that the library has a great role to play in building culture around entrepreneurship on campus. And so while we do support those who are currently engaged in launching a startup, we also support a lot of people who are just learning, curious, and want to know more about maybe this is a potential pathway for them in the future. And that is very important and a very important aspect of the role. I think a lot of times we talk about the number of companies started or the amount of funding gained. But that broader end of the funnel is very important, I think, not just in terms of the startup ecosystem, but in terms of the educational experience that people have when they come to U of T and to have this integrated as part of that, to be able to try something, create something and fail is a great learning experience. And so we are wholehearted supporters of that. And that aligns with the library's mandate, which is to support learning and research more so than to launch companies per se. My final takeaway would be around best practices of responsibly consuming and evaluating information. So if you are operating in the business world, this might look a little different than the academic world. You aren't expected to present a list of references necessarily, but you do still want to be an ethical and transparent, trustworthy operator within the business space. So to give credit where it's due, to responsibly track where the information comes that you're using, to base the decisions that you make on the best possible information out there, as well as to transparently show where information is coming from so you can trace it back to its source if and when you need to provide that due diligence and follow the breadcrumbs back to the source. 
So Carrie, thanks for joining me today. It's been an education talking with you about the volume of research services and learning that's available to support emerging entrepreneurs as well as those who are just curious. I understand you have a couple of things to leave with those who are listening in in our show notes. Absolutely. So if you would like to look at the research that I was talking about today, we have a poster from the Concordia Research Forum, which is a librarianship conference uh, last month. And so you're more than welcome to check out the PDF of that poster and we'll share that link. And closer to home, we've got the Entrepreneurship Research Guide, which is a one-stop shop into all of the resources that we provide, services, how to get in touch with us, as well as the workshops guide, which gives a link to all the workshops and you can join us at an upcoming workshop. I think I definitely will. Finally, do you have any advice for entrepreneurs or for those who are supporting entrepreneurs that might help them through this process? Be curious. I think that, you know, there's a lot talked about the characteristics or personalities of entrepreneurs. I don't think that necessarily applies. I think you can broaden that out and think about curiosity about a problem and approach that problem-solving activity in so many ways without having to identify as an entrepreneur. I think a lot of folks feel like entrepreneurship or startups represent a very sort of niche type of personality or type of identity. And I think that's really changing. And I think that's very exciting. I would also say that the traditional spaces, the STEM spaces are in dire need of input from humanities and social sciences. We need ethics in our technology to ensure that everyone's being represented, that people aren't being harmed. We can no longer assume that technology is a solution. It's, you know, a piece of the puzzle, but we need a broader picture. We need to see the story. We need to see the users. We need this, this big picture. And so even if you're not a computer science student, do not be dissuaded from approaching something that you feel passionate about and trying to change it. And let's say it fails. Awesome. Great. It failed. It doesn't matter. It's okay. If it failed, you tried it, you learned something and that's what going to university is all about. Thanks so much, Carrie. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me today. It was a pleasure chatting with you. The pleasure was ours. You've just heard from Carrie Tone, entrepreneurship librarian at the University of Toronto Libraries. In previous episodes, we met some of Innovet's edupreneurs and spoke with advisors about how a learning environment contributes to success. We heard about the need for understanding the learner, being responsive to their needs, and creating opportunities for diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. We also heard that the role of the educator is a critical one, and that means looking at their methods. So today, that's our focus. To explore this, I spoke with two administrators of Innovit. Michael Cassidy is the Associate Director International and Innovation at OISE Continuing and Professional Learning. Together with his dynamic and passionate team, Michael leads CPL contract services as custom programs and services, consulting and partnership agreements in Canada and globally. Samantha Pursuto is the Learning Innovation Coordinator at OISE Continuing and Professional Learning. She supports continuous improvement processes related to the development and facilitation of professional learning solutions for local and international education professionals, service providers, and systems leaders. 
I was excited to hear from both Michael and Samantha about their experiences so far with InnoVed, what they've learned about supportive approaches for entrepreneur learning, and what still needs to be explored and understood. So first, Michael and then Samantha, can you tell us a bit about yourself and your role and connection to InnoVed? My name is Michael Cassidy. I work with Boise's Continuing Professional Learning as the Associate Director, working in the area of international and innovation. And I've been part of the InnoVed journey from its beginnings and really excited for uh, regarding its contribution, not just to our continuing professional learning community, but at large, uh, its contribution to education and education systems. Thanks, Christy. Thanks, Michael. My name is Samantha or Sam. I'm the Learning Innovation Coordinator at Boise Continuing and Professional Learning, and I have the pleasure of working alongside Michael. And I always find it helpful to just paint a picture of what we do at CPL and where InnoVed fits into all of that. So we offer professional learning solutions for educators across sectors in K-12, post-secondary environments, workplace, learning and development contexts, and human services. So in my role as the Learning Innovation Coordinator, I develop and coordinate continuous improvement processes that will inform the development or refinement of those learning solutions across our service channels. So our service channels include, for example, various courses and programs for individual educators at large, custom programs and contract services for teams and organizations. And then, of course, why we're here today, the learning community that we have for entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs in education, which we call InnoVed. I have the privilege of coordinating the activities of InnoVed alongside my wonderful colleague, Perry, who you got to meet in episode one, alongside Michael and alongside our creator, Elizabeth. And my main focus along the journey of InnoVed has been to has been the incremental improvement of our processes so that they are more evidence-informed and more responsive to the learning goals of our member community. Thanks, Samantha. So in this episode, we're exploring teaching and learning for entrepreneurship. Michael, I um, would love to hear from you. What can you tell us about InnoVed's orientation to learning and development? I would say that InnoVed's orientation to learning and development is based on inquiry and the conditions that inquiry thrives in. So uh, leaving aside advice giving and creating the space and conditions for questions that authentically try to achieve and make the impact or intended impact for our members. It's an inquiry orientation that attempts to create conditions for a community to come with their individual inquiry and then also to belong and contribute into a larger education-oriented community. As many people might be more familiar with more traditional accelerators around entrepreneurship, maybe can you tell us how that might make a difference where you're straying away from advice and getting into how that might help someone from an inquiry standpoint? I think because we're in a unique environment of an educational institution that we can be very confident in conditions of inquiry that welcome, you know, what now and a kind of goal setting that is less about standard like SMART goals, but rather really trying to create goals that are very authentic and challenging at the same time as part of a larger community in the context of education, which has a a very long history. But the education sector is, I would say, it has its uniqueness, just like in healthcare and in engineering. That being said, those foundational 
ingredients of a community being based on inquiry, I believe can be returned to over and celebrated in terms of why are we gathering as, a, as members and toward innovation. I think because of the nature of our context of being in education and in an institute that studies education, there's a kind of longitudinal sentiment and then also commitment to a sustainable inquiry that I really feel fuels the dynamic of these entrepreneurs or those who are undertaking a particular mission or project or contribution into our sector. Thanks, Michael. That really helps. I remember in an earlier episode, John Lamb talked about a study around the different types of um entrepreneurs that come into environments such as this. And I think he mentioned we have the venture creators, which is most people associate with these types of learning environments, but we also have experience seekers and explorers and engagers. And I think those are the mindsets and the types that really fit well with that type of an inquiry approach as well. Samantha, let's talk a little bit about InnoVed and their processes and practices. Maybe can you describe some of the teaching and learning practices at InnoVed? Absolutely. Thanks so much, Christy. I would say that our processes are informed by a shared vision. Our members are oriented to serve and improve education systems working with their stakeholders. They're not seeking to disrupt, replace, or eliminate that human loop in education. We work to support our entrepreneur learners and their inquiries into who are their learning audiences and stakeholders, what are their contexts, and what are the learning environments that they're seeking to serve? What are the processes and practices that will support them to have the impact that they're working towards as an organization? So we have a series of member intake and support processes that we continue to refine to do this kind of work. The very first engagement of a prospective member, for example, would be to connect in an inquiry meeting. This is a brief meeting where the prospective member is really just getting to know InnoVed, how we're oriented, how we function. And then we're getting to know that prospective member and learn about their initiative. We're looking for, for example, an indication of their alignment to education systems improvement. And when we see that alignment, we'll invite them into a discovery meeting. So this is a longer, more focused conversation that we use to gather insights about this prospective member's personal motivation behind their initiative. So why is this something they're embarking on in the first place? So what is their orientation to the needs of that education environment that they're wanting to serve? What opportunities are they identifying to improve conditions for the stakeholders in those environments? What's their intended impact and do they have some examples? As well as some indication of their stage of development. What have they piloted so far? Who makes up their team? What might their existing clients be or who might their existing clients be? So there are major inquiries or focus areas that sort of brought them to InnoVed and what they want to explore with the community at InnoVed. And what are they hoping to receive from and also contribute to our member community? And then once they're invited in to the member community, they have access to a variety of supports. And so just to name a few, we have member meetings that are up to the discretion of the of the entrepreneur as the learner to request to connect with members of our team, to share with us on an ongoing basis how their inquiry is unfolding, what's new about the initiative that they're undertaking. And it's a space where we can offer some recommendations or make introductions and a space where we 
facilitate this kind of process of feed forward. So it's like feedback that feeds forward or critical questions that like, oh, why did you approach it this way? Who have you been informed by? Have you considered looking into those kinds of conversations? Or I know somebody who might be a really good connection for you. So just an opportunity to really hear what's top of mind for them to provide some of that feed forward and to support them to find the resources, both in literature, in environment, and in in other people that make up our ecosystem at the university. And we also facilitate what we call member roundtables. So these are bi-monthly opportunities to connect and discuss emergent trends and issues in the sector to share community updates for our members to share what's top of mind and opportunity really to highlight the work of our community members and seed connections between them. For example, we recently got to showcase a collaboration between two of our members, Edutechnos and Indispace, who are collaborating to develop a gamified platform for space education to support in the K-12 sector. We have we were able to spotlight Global DWS as well as Learn Different, who have collaborated to develop a reading assessment software that uses AI to support teachers in in student assessment. It's an opportunity, really, this time to lab, to share, here's where we're at, here's what we're struggling with, here's what our next steps are, do you guys have any advice? And really just connect in and check in with the community in that way. And then we have an online sort of environment that connects us asynchronously. It's hosted on Microsoft Teams, which is an institutional tool that that we use to facilitate this kind of co-working space. So it functions as a resource hub, a, a live news feed, even an independent workspace for members. They'll have their particular channels and a workspace to use as they navigate their inquiry. And then, of course, like a resource sharing and co-working space for members, for our member community as well. So those are the processes and the supports available at the moment. We're always seeking to, to refine and improve. And Another sort of example that emerged from the community, actually through MyTax, which is a funding body for the Ontario government, they are supporting the skills agenda by um, offering funds to small, medium enterprise who are wanting to engage in an innovation project at their organization. So we formed a relationship with MyTax. We were able to offer this opportunity to our member base and seven of our organizations actually submit an application to be a part of this process. We're now in about to launch a work integrated learning program for seven of our member organizations and their employees who will navigate and explore a learning experience design improvement opportunity in their organization and work to develop an improved learning experience and develop an implementation and evaluation plan for that improved learning experience at their organization. Thanks, Samantha. I actually liked hearing more about the notions of partnership and collaboration and through examples that you're sharing that's actually occurring in that network. And that's certainly something we've heard from a lot of the members around that network opportunity and broadening their own perspectives and their own ideas from those they've met have really assisted in their process of learning and growing. I also really liked how you shared examples of the types of questions you're asking, which were great evidence of the inquiry type of approach that Michael shared in his line of thinking as well. 
When we talk about speed and pace, as you mentioned, as opposed to, you know, you're often tempted to have this type of a, a boot camp intensive experience where people come in and they're structured learning and so on. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about the type of pace and spacing in this occurs. But even just if we look at the word accelerator in an incubator, as people apply to entrepreneurship learning, there's a whole idea of speed around the notion of an accelerator. And of course, I think that's when you're taking more of that venture curation our creation approach as well. So just thoughts, and either this might come from Samantha or Michael, I invite you to talk a bit about the space of the programming and the pace and, the, and how that all might occur around some, some time for learning. Thanks so much, Christy. I think that's a great question. We're not hurried or really motivated by speed. We are really all about the inquiry and it takes the time that it takes. So learners can once they're part of our community, they're part of our community for as long as it serves them. And so they're engaged in their inquiry. That inquiry might change. It might evolve into collaborative relationships with other members. And none of that is subject to a particular, you have to finish the program and graduate by X day. So they just continue to evolve their inquiry, evolve their solution, um, and they have the um, ability to continue accessing the community for, again, as long as it serves them. Yeah, I think that's a really fun area to explore in our time of busyness. And I think there's a growing sentiment around busyness being a kind of <clears throat> laziness in terms of deliberate, intentful, like the right thinking versus more, more intensive uh, action. I think what's important to point out is we've got institutions, higher education institutions offering programs typically, and very well known that the bread and butter of an institution is primarily known that in the context of a, a bachelor program or a master's program or a PhD program. And those, of course, are time-based and there's some flexibility to that uh, commitment. And yet th this is a, another kind of process that isn't as time-based, although, of course, within reason, we're not talking about an undertaking at least we haven't explored this yet, an undertaking that would take, say, several lifetimes of uh, community members to contribute toward. Although I guess that is one of the benefits of universities. You see the education system as being something that was formed over potentially 100 plus years. But this, I appreciate the question around time, because when I think of that, I also think about the feedback loop. And that feedback loop, I think when we set conventional conditions for it, we get fairly conventional impacts or, or responses. But I think when it's negotiated with the members or the learners in their context, I do believe it creates a more authentic inquiry, to go back to that, as well as a more helpful recalibration on their focus or on the focus of the impact or the results. Thanks, Michael. I, I agree with that. I remember Elizabeth talking as well about notions of success and celebrating you know, what might be traditionally thought of as failure, just as we celebrate the learning that was part of that process as well. And beginning to look at this, it's not necessarily transactional or just looking at the viability of a concept or a product or a service on here, but what happens as the person learns through the process. And again, that focus on the entrepreneur themselves and their own learning, which is a very individual process as well. I think if someone comes in with their inquiry that is time-based, I think there's a certain respect and appreciation for pacing if you come with that kind of agenda and expectation. 
But at the outset, it's not a definition by duration, your participation. And I think that's probably what excites me the most is this idea of just generally the learning dynamic is less about the information transaction from that kind of deficit model, not to oversimplify, but like where you come to learn something that you maybe didn't have, but rather to join, to participate, and almost step into a, like a responsibility agreement that we're all trying to orient towards solutions in the context of education, hence innovation in education is a, our membership orientation, really. So there's a stepping in with respect to responsibility. And in that, I think time matters a lot based on our lifespans, but not necessarily is the same thing by periods or stages. Thanks. That's a really interesting line of questioning. When we think of how impatient we all are, and in particular, when people are entrepreneurs, because many people are their builders, their creators, they really want to execute and get there. It's all just how do we slow down to go further, right, in terms of learning and thinking and making sure we're building the right things and we're learning the most from the process and so on. Just uh, a lot of ways to take that conversation. So thanks for your thoughts. Um, you know, why don't we shift and talk a little bit about what your learning has been, because you've both been a part of this in various degrees around InnoVet. Maybe, Samantha, let's start with you. How, what would you say have been the biggest lessons for InnoVet when it comes to entrepreneurship, learning, and development so far? We're noticing sort of three main lines of inquiry among our member community. So the first being how to build or deepen or extend relationships with their stakeholders, entering new markets, for example, how to improve the quality of their solutions. So these could be their products or their services by applying evidence-informed practice. So not everybody is coming with a background in education and so wanting to understand what is pedagogy, what's andragogy, those kinds of how to we facilitate learning and have the outcomes that we're looking for. And the third, of course, being just that, how do you evaluate your solution or communicate their value? Like, how do you know you're having the impact that you hoped to have as an organization? So those are the sort of three main areas of inquiry that we're learning are really important to almost everyone in our member community. And so we recognize to explore those, we want to improve our social constructivist approach to their learning and development and better scaffold the process of inquiry to pay particular attention to that human loop. So how are members and their stakeholders coming together for critical exchange of ideas and perspectives? How do we foster a better lab-like environment for members to develop and test their solutions, to challenge their assumptions, identify their gaps in order to advance their vision. But maybe most importantly is that role of the social emotional experience in entrepreneur learning and development. We understand and can see that entrepreneurship can be an isolating experience. And so we're always seeking to better create conditions for community connectedness, collaboration, and really just meaningful exchange between our member community that motivates them, that energizes them, that contributes to clarity of their vision and advancement towards their goals. So learning a lot about the commonalities among their inquiry and knowing that 
in order to help them advance in those areas of inquiry is where we need to pay uh, closer attention, that human loop as part of the process and cultivating and creating the conditions for that. Some of the lessons I think you learn is that I've noticed is the importance of the community. So I think that there's something in the future uh, in terms of iterations of a community that's oriented or orchestrated around um, a particular intended impact. So we have it as generally toward innovation and education and the, the augmenting, the enhancing, come one, come all, help, come take a, a role, contribution, will help with the wayfinding in the sector. But I'm wondering that in, in terms of the future, there's something about the participation of these heroes that are coming with their undertaking and their insights to contribute the innovative insight in my, from the way I see it is really that sense of the participation, that you're coming less to do with the information as these, the, like the sense of orienting on information. It's like we're orienting on a communal effort for enhancement and continuous improvement. Would love to hear both first from Michael and then Samantha, what advice might you have for either entrepreneurs or those who are guiding or supporting other entrepreneurs? I would start with the question to the systems of supporting entrepreneurs to inquire about the fortitude that we have to resist advice giving and to center the questions and invoke and welcome the the continued questions and subsequent support for any answers or revealed or revelations that come from our members who are calling themselves entrepreneurs or have embarked on this undertaking. And whether or not we ask ourselves, again, the system, if we're playing that the welcome committee, the referral, the community representative for helping to plug in and make meaning with the, those who are inquiring, what's our fortitude for that transition, if you will, from those who are so-called out of our community to be in our community? And I, by in our community, meaning the keeping a line of sight on the education system in this context and the professional learning that's intended to benefit both individuals working in the education system as educators, but also the systems and that culture of educators and educational continuous improvement. So I, I like the idea of fortitude of that system that welcomes entrepreneurs. Yeah, so I think just given my role, I'm speaking here to those supporting entrepreneurs, just based on the experience I've had so far with this community is the importance of like learner centricity. Know your entrepreneur members as individuals. What motivates them? Why are they here? What are their goals? How do they want to contribute? How do they feel comfortable contributing? And building your learning experience around what you know about who makes up your learning community. And then what's the feedback you're getting from your member community and what do you still need to know? So just like that spirit of continuous improvement as a support 
structure for entrepreneurs. What do you need to know about them, about the systems that they're serving, about the entrepreneurial ecosystem to support them in those needs and goals? And then I think also communities are really driven by shared values. So what are the values of your community? How do you live them and cultivate them as a group of entrepreneurs and create conditions for meaningful exchange between your members, between your members and the stakeholders that they are wanting to work with and to serve and other members of the entrepreneurial ecosystem at your institution and the resources that make up that institution. Yeah, just I think that learner centricity, shared values, and a continuous improvement process that's committed to how best to serve the entrepreneur as a learner in your incubator or accelerator. Thank you, Samantha. And thanks to you both for just very thoughtful answers in regards to advice when I realized your advice was to stop giving advice and ask more questions. (laughs) So what I want to leave as a final question for you is what questions do you have or maybe what you would like to leave us with in regards to those who are in the community and listening in? The question that I can't help but try to articulate is really in and around what's new. What's new when we have a community that is supporting innovators or entrepreneurs? What's new, not in terms of the products or the activities that are suggested and brought forward by entrepreneurs and the like. Um, What's new to the community that they are impacting by including their contributions and their conversations and their inquiries. I, I think that that is a, is a great um, question to ask for those of us who are either entrepreneurs or also receiving an entrepreneurial community to try to measure that in some way and, and figure out how to answer what changes, what's changing in the context of let's say, I mean, it would be a much, it's too big of a question, but what's changing in education when you've got uh, teams saying we're, we're really aiming to continuously improve and help the, the situation in urban schools and rural schools and in the educational environment for educators? What, what, you know, what happens when you have people expressing their, their dedication and their creative contributions to, to make schooling and education better. Thanks, Michael. I've enjoyed talking to you both today. It certainly gave me um, a better perspective in regards to how you're approaching teaching and learning and how you're focusing on the learners and how they're learning and growing throughout the entrepreneurship process. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks so much, Christy. This was a pleasure and a joy. And thanks so much, Michael. I always find your words so energizing and a helpful reminder of why we do the work that we do. The feeling is mutual. Thank you so much, Christy. You've just heard from Michael Cassidy, Associate Director, International Innovation, and Samantha Prasuto, Learning Innovation Coordinator, both from OISE Continuing and Professional Learning.
facilitating the learning of entrepreneurs is really about facilitating their process of inquiry, encouraging their questions, igniting their curiosity, and seeding meaningful connections. In this episode, we heard from a University of Toronto entrepreneurship librarian, as well as two administrators of InnoVed. Carrie gave us insight into the critical role of research for entrepreneurs, a public, college, or university library, and librarian may be a huge support in the learning process, either for validating ideas on market research or gathering evidence upon which to base decisions. Michael emphasized the role of inquiry in the learning process for entrepreneurs. From a guiding or facilitation standpoint, does this mean giving less advice and asking more questions? That may be a mindset shift for many who are overseeing campus-linked accelerators, but what are the gains? This allows space for thinking, iteration, and contribution from the wider community. Samantha shared details of her experience structuring the learning process, but also invited us to consider the social and emotional experience of the entrepreneur as a key factor in their learning and development. This begs the question, how do we scaffold and support the human loop in this process? We understand from all our guests that entrepreneur learning and development is grounded in their inquiry, but deeply enriched by research and learning within a supportive community. That brings us to the end of this four-part series of the Innovet Exchange. You might have noticed that we ended with questions. There's so much more to explore and discuss about entrepreneurship education. We look forward to being back with you soon. The Innovet Exchange is produced by Cited Media in collaboration with Innovet. For more community-partnered and research communication podcasts, visit citedmedia.ca. Samantha Pursuto is Innovet's lead coordinator on this podcast. Ren Bangert is our managing producer. I've been your host, Christy Ivan. Thanks again for listening and stay tuned. For more from Innovet, see our website at innovet.oise.ca. That's O-I-S-E dot